Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 17. We have Bibles available in the pew in front of you, in the pocket underneath the front pew for you, and if you choose that one, it's page 1,402. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now what you just heard was a description of the way people live for whom Christ is all and in all. For you to see that from the text, we need to back up to verse 9 and walk into this text through verse 11. So let me do that with you. Start at verse 9 and walk through the gateway of verse 11 into the description of the new community, which Tom just read. Verse 9 says, Christians have laid aside or taken off like a garment, have laid aside... The old self with its practices. In other words, what happened to you at conversion was that you, like a butterfly, as it were, sloughed off, sloughed off the worm-like cocoon of your old self and took wings. Or to put it positively, verse 10, Christians have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So in conversion, a negative thing happened and a positive thing happened. The negative was that there was a sloughing. I wanted to think snake slough, but that didn't sound like a good illustration. So I got, I got butterflies the best I could do. It's a, it's a sloughing off of the old. My family went to the, to the uh, science theater last week, and I, I think the, uh, the, the big, what do we call that thing, theater over your head, and uh, I think it's over now, but it showed a butterfly coming out of the cocoon. I said, that was spectacular, absolutely spectacular, of what it was when it went in and what it was when it came out. And this, this laying off, And putting on, I think, has to do with that kind of radical, utter 
transformation. Now, you didn't just decide to do that one day. As you look back, whether you were six years old or 35 years old, or whenever the decisive moment happened and you probably can't remember it, you didn't just decide to do that. I will become new. I will turn into a butterfly. Do it. You didn't do it that way. Verse 12 makes very clear who took the initiative on you to make that happen. You're addressed in verse 12 as those who have been chosen of God, holy and loved. So the reason you experienced a sloughing off of the old self and a putting on of the new self is because God loved you, God chose you, and God set you apart as holy to the Lord. That's why it happened. You were involved. You had to believe. You had to decide. You had to renounce and turn. But God did it. God started it millions of years ago in his choice. And God did it out of love. And then God sanctified. He made holy. He took you from the world, set you apart into his kingdom for your for his self. And we therefore give him the glory and the credit. Now that's important to recognize his initiative because he's got a purpose in this. In what's happened inside of you. And the purpose is first that he means to obliterate the things that you once boasted in. Distinctions between you and somebody else that gave you a lot of ego strength and a lot of feeling of meaning and significance, but set you off and above or maybe below other people. And what he's doing in stripping off the old self and putting on the new self is essentially obliterating those things that separate you from other people, lift you up, put you down, and make you distinct in the sense of, I'm going to boast in myself and be different and unique and separate and mean something. That's verse 11. Let's read it. There is, in this context of laying aside the old self and putting on the new self, there is no, no distinction between Greek and Jew and Circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, freeman, but Christ is all and in all. Now what God is doing in stripping the old self off and putting the new self on is creating a new community. That's what this verse is talking about. He's not just creating little little isolated new creatures. Here's a new creature and there's a new creature and they're all little stars in the night. He is creating a new community. And the mark of this new community here has two parts, really two sides of the same coin in verse 11. One is people in this new community stop cherishing the things that make them separated from each other. I'm a Jew. I'm a Greek. I'm circumcised. I'm uncircumcised. I'm a Freeman. I'm a Scythian. I'm a barbarian. I'm not a barbarian. What's happened is with the new newness that has clothed us is that it doesn't do that anymore. It doesn't find its meaning and its significance in the things that push us away from each other. 
The mark of the new community, this is the other side of the coin, is that Christ is all and in all. If you ask me, on the basis of this text, what's new about the new self? My answer would be, the new self is a self for whom Christ is all. Once we boasted in our culture and our intellect like the Greeks, but now Christ is all. Once we boasted in our tradition and our religious rigor, like the Jews perhaps, now Christ is all. Once we boasted in our ethnic pedigree, maybe we were from the right place in the Roman Empire, and now Christ is all. Once we boasted that we were not barbarians, we were not like those shabby Scythians up there around the Black Sea, now Christ is all, and we don't boast like that anymore. We don't any longer derive our sense of significance, our sense of identity, or our sense of satisfaction from who we are in distinction to other people. That's gone. That was sloughed off. And what's been put in its place is Christ. Christ is all. We once struggled to find our significance and our happiness and our security and our everything by who we were. Jews, Greeks, circumcised, free, American, rich, strong, pretty, witty, cool. We once strived so hard to get our happiness and to get our satisfaction and to get our peace and to get our success by being something that would somehow set us off as a little bit special. And it's over. It's over. Because now Christ is all. Next week, I begin a 12-week series. It's really beginning this week, I suppose. Focusing on the new community that Christ is creating. And uh, on Wednesday nights, we will unpack practical implications and expand upon Sunday morning. This Wednesday night, by the way, I'm, I'm going to try to give the, the historical perspective of how we got here as Bethlehem and why we're focusing on this. What has the elders been thinking? What have... Have the, what did the staff do on its three-day retreat of prayer and fasting and seeking the Lord? Why this emphasis at this time? What are the weaknesses of our church? What are its strengths? How can we change? What are the possibilities? I'm going to try to just bring you into the loop this Wednesday night so that if God leads, you can join the process of becoming what God, I think, wants us to be as a church. Now, what I want to do this morning, in just a few more minutes, is over the archway that leads into this series of 12 messages is hang a banner. A banner over all this talk about the body. And on the banner are written three big words. Christ is all. One of our fathers came up to me after the first service with a piece of paper and he said, our six-year-old this is right down here, usually, we, we say you must write three words before you draw anything. 
And you know which three words she wrote. And he held them up and said, she got it. (laughs) Christ is all. Now I stress this, that Christ is all, because I tremble, frankly, as I enter this series of messages, that 12 weeks of focus on life together in the body could so easily lead to Christ being swallowed up in relationships. When in fact, I believe the New Testament teaches that relationships are to be swallowed up into Christ. So I tremble. Now I want to be just open and above board. I have misgivings about 12 weeks devoted to relationships. The second reason I stress it, however... This morning, that Christ is all is because the world never stresses it. And you live in the world almost all the time. And there's a lot of world in the church. And therefore, I don't think I am being redundant in your life when I say week in and week out, Christ is all. Christ is all. Hear that on the radio? Anybody say that on the television? Read that in the newspaper? Is anybody else saying that besides Christians? Christ is all. And the third reason I stress it is because it's the very heart of the Bible. It's the heart of the new community and it is the heart of the new creation in Christ. Isn't the flow of thought here magnificent from verse 9 to 11? Put off the old self, verse 9. You put on the new self, verse 10. And in verse 11, you get your meaning no longer by comparing yourself with others. But why? How? Because Christ is all. Which means that the new thing about the new self is that Christ and not self is all. The new thing about the new self is that Christ and not self is all. That's the mark, the most precious thing about the new self is that finally I can forget myself and be satisfied with the all-satisfying Christ. That's the most precious thing about becoming new. Finally, this long dealing with me is over. And Christ is all. He's all. I look forward in spite of my misgivings and in spite of the pitfalls to a wonderful fall, a wonderful 12 weeks of Sunday morning focus and Wednesday night and prayer on Wednesday night dealing largely with these kinds of issues. I expect to learn much. I expect to grow much. I expect to change. And I look with you toward what we should and could be for the rest of this millennium. It is not enough to say Christ is all. If it were enough to say Christ is all, the book would end at verse 11. And it didn't. God might have created new selves 
so complete and so perfect that you and I would intuitively, spontaneously, perfectly bring forth love and justice and purity and sensitivity without any flaw at all from the moment of conversion, without any need for any preaching, any Bible, any prayer, or anything perfect, complete, that's it. It might have happened that way. The new self might have been created with such an incredible grasp and experience that Christ is all, that no preacher would need to stand up and herald Christ is all. Or no small group would be necessary to help you struggle with how Christ is all when the baby dies. No group would be necessary to help you work through how Christ is all when you lose your job. No group would be necessary for how Christ is all when the marriage totters. No group would be necessary for how Christ is all when your health fails or your husband passes away. You might not need any of that had God done it that way. He might have done it that way. He didn't. Instead, verse 10 makes real clear that you put on the new self which is being made new. You were born becoming. You were born becoming. Christ is all that he might become all in all. Now verse 12 makes real clear what the becoming looks like. As those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on. Well, wait a minute, I thought we just put on in verse 10. We've already put it on. Put on the new self. Now there are garments that belong to that self. Put them on. You have come to know the experience that Christ is all. Now show how people live for whom Christ is all. So what frees me as a Christ-exalting, God-centered minister of the Word to talk for 12 weeks about how you relate to each other is the link between verse 12 and verses 9 to 11, especially verse 11. Your newness means that to you, Christ is all. That's what it means. And out of that, a community has been created. The point of the community is to let people see what it looks like when Christ is all. And if people look at Bethlehem and do not conclude Christ is all, our relationships are failing. That's the point. That's what frees me to say, we're going to talk about 12 weeks worth of relationships at the horizontal level Knowing that this banner is written over the whole series, Christ is all.
We can live this way because Christ is all. People will know that Christ is all because they see us live this way. If that doesn't happen, let's just close up shop and join other churches or forget the whole business. Because if Christ is not all and manifestly all, we're failing and may as well close it up. Let's read it and I'm done. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. Now let me stop there a minute. I want to insert a non-planned parenthesis. That phrase, bearing with one another, is an application of the sermon from two weeks ago. Where in Colossians 1.24, we said, I rejoice to fill up in my suffering what is lacking in the afflictions of Jesus for the sake of his body. And we said the meaning of that verse was that the full and complete, sufficient, meritorious, atoning value of the sufferings of Christ are presented personally and made real to the world as they are embodied in and fleshed out in our sufferings for people. Now this verse says that when Christ is all to you, you literally endure one another. Bear, bear with sort of makes it sound less offensive. Uh, I've used this text, as I'm sure Tom has, a dozen times in weddings over the past decade. Couples like this text. But when I preach it, I look them right in the face always and I say, does it, does it encourage you for me to tell you that God says you're going to have to endure each other? Which he does. Nothing naive here. If your marriage survives, it will be because you have endured one another's absolutely infuriating foibles. And a church survives and thrives when we take the sufferings of Christ and let them become our sufferings. And what did he bear in his suffering? But the spitting and the forsaking and the accusations and the misunderstandings. What a gift to a church when we can endure one another. Forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you also should. And beyond or above or over all these things, Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. When Christ is all, that's the way it will look at Bethlehem. And when it looks that way at Bethlehem, people will know that Christ is all. It's not easy to live out such precious realities when you're disconnected. You read those through, and if your life is disconnected... If you only know people in a superficial way and you read those deep, 
deep things, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, bear with, endure, forgive, love. You read those things, I don't even have a context in which to live that. Therefore, we believe increasingly that small groups at Bethlehem are crucial in a big church, in a big world, and... We believe that the new community that God creates out of new people has to be marked by these relationships. And therefore, we this morning have a focus on small groups here at the end. And Daniel Runyon is the elder at Bethlehem who is charged as overseer for small group ministries. I want to teach a lot more on this tonight from this text. But now I want Daniel to come and to help us in uh, prayer and in guidance as to how we can make some progress here, Daniel, with regard to small groups.